appreciate it. Okay, I am uh, going to have to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <clears throat> i got too many stories in my mind. But uh, first of all, let me just say this um, to the youth group, the youth group that's no longer youth. <clears throat> um, do you remember Dave? Nifty Tom 50? Remember Dave, Nifty Tom 50? Yeah, yeah. You were you you played here, right here, when I was a youth guy back in the day. Wow, and Tyler, great to see you, man. Always, always great to see you. And uh, Jan and Ron, great to see you. Oh my gosh, overwhelming. The whole gang. Uh, well, not the whole gang, part of the gang. Hey, I am excited to um, wrap up this series we've been doing on the pursuit of God. And just a reminder. Oftentimes when we hear that phrase, it's, it's, um, it has to do with us pursuing God. But in this case, we've been looking at Jonah. And in, in the story of Jonah, God pursued Jonah. But he didn't just pursue Jonah for Jonah's sake. He pursued Jonah because he wanted Jonah to pursue Nineveh. All right, so you've been listening to the last four weeks. That's good. Uh, but God pursued Jonah... Because he wanted to pursue Nineveh. And I believe in the same way, God pursues you and God pursues me because there's people who are far from God that he wants to bring closer to him through your life and through mine, through our lives. So God pursued Jonah because he wanted to pursue Nineveh. And I'm going I'm to wrap this up by looking at this series up by looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And in, in, in this uh, section of the Bible, the Apostle Paul is giving his closing arguments to the gospel, to what the gospel is, to what God's plan is with his people here on earth as far as his redemptive plan with his people. So just think of a courtroom. Think of a, a lawyer giving a closing argument to his case, his presentation or her case, her presentation. And that's, that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's closing his argument about what the gospel is and what God's plan is for you and for me. I'm going to kind of shorten my message here this morning a little bit. And to kind of emphasize what we've been talking about, um, Tom and Annette Balch are going to come up and share about their trip they just took to Africa with Young Life and talk about how God's pursuing people in, um, in some of those countries out there in this day. So it wasn't just Jonah, wasn't just you and me, but it's happening currently all around the world. Uh, and, and, and God wants it to happen here too, through our, through our lives. But in this section of scripture in Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul who wrote these words, he certainly would have understood the idea of God pursuing, right? Do you remember his story? He was helping jail Christians and he was helping put Christians to death. As a Pharisee, and in the midst of that, he was on his road to Damascus to continue with that mission. And all of a sudden, a bright light threw him off his horse, literally. And it was it was the resurrected Jesus who spoke to the Apostle Paul. The resurrected Jesus pursued Paul. Just think about this. Just imagine this. God, God is so amazing. So here's a guy putting Christians in jail, putting Christians to death. He oversaw the first stoning of a Christian, Stephen. And for some reason, in God's amazing way of thinking, he says, 
That's my guy. Right? That's my guy. That's amazing. And so God pursued Paul because he wanted to pursue the Gentiles. Right? That was his mission. He was called to those who were not Jews. He was called. So God wanted to pursue those who were not in the Jewish nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he pursued Paul because he wanted to pursue Gentiles. And in his closing argument of the gospel, here's what he writes. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to unwrap the these things. But the these things are chapter 1, <laughs> 1, 2, Romans 8, 30. <laughs> okay. But in a nutshell, it's the righteous shall live by faith. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, we now can live by faith and be right with God, in right standing with God. No longer enemies of God, but with God, in right standing with God. And the first verse of chapter 8 of Romans says this, Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No judgment. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Turn to somebody and say, no judgment. Go ahead and say it. Come on. Help me out. Find somebody. No judgment. For those who are in Christ, no judgment. No condemnation. Right? The work that Christ did on the cross, and we have faith in that, that work is sufficient to satisfy the justice of God. In Paul's writings... Early in Romans, he, he, he writes how God basically, he drops the gavel on your life and mine for those who are in Christ. And he says, not guilty, you are free to go. There is no longer any charge against you. Do you believe that today? There's no charge against you in Christ. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is a rhetorical question. <laughs> if you don't know what rhetorical means, look it up later. This will make more sense to you. <laughs> Some of you are like, I should have said the English more. It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All things we need to be right with God, to live the God, the life God designed us to live, to live in that shalom, that peace and that prosperity. All of that, all those spiritual blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. We are heirs with Christ. We've been grafted. For those of you who aren't Jews, you've been grafted in. Any, any, I don't know if any Jewish people, maybe the rest of us. Yay, God. Thank you, God. Cleared us. We go on to verse 33. God is greater. Verse 33, Paul says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who's going to bring a charge against us? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Only God can judge. 
Now, I know some of you in the room, you think you have the spiritual gift of judging. Come on, let's be honest, man. You're just amongst a few friends. Let me remind you, that is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) At all. At all. Uh, Only God judges. But if God's not going to, here's what Paul's saying. If God's not going to judge you, no one's going to judge you. As far as being right with him. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? Do you believe that? He is interceding for you. He is standing in the gap for you and for me. All those who are in Christ are believers. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Another rhetorical question. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, again, this is Paul giving his personal testimony. But you and I can do the same thing. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Your boss, his attitude towards you can't separate you from the love of Christ. Your lack or your prosperity can't separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing. Your mistakes, your sin, not even your sin can separate you from the love of Christ. Right? We all understand no one's perfect in this room, right? Not even the three of you that are not sure what I'm talking about. There's always three. I don't know why. There's always three. But no one can separate us. It says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The Apostle Paul saw his life as, as a sacrificial for the sake of the gospel. For the, the calling he had to fulfill the mission God gave him. It was at all cost that he served his God at all costs, even if it meant losing everything, even if it meant losing everything. A few more verses, verse 37. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Can we all say more than? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm any, any competitive people in the room besides me? I'm a little competitive in some areas. Other areas, I really don't care at all. <laughs> Some areas, I gotta admit, I'm a little competitive. And it's fun to win. I mean, I, li- I like what someone said. You either win or you learn. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> either win or you learn, right? That, that's a, that's a pretty aggressive attitude. That's why I like it so much. <laughs> either win or you learn. Can't say the word lose. But the apostle Paul here, says that uh, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. I don't know if you ever look at yourself that way, if you ever look in the mirror and say, in Christ, I am more than victorious. I don't know if you ever do that, but maybe some of you that would help as far as your confidence, not in yourself, but in the God that you serve. That all things really are possible with God. All things really are possible with God. God. Verse 38, for I am convinced, the Apostle Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all. This is the, in case I, in case I left anything out. <laughs> anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? This is so critical. You gotta understand that if you are a Christ follower, God will never give up on you. God will never, ever, 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 ever give up on you. Even when you're not faithful, he is still faithful. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I am so excited to ask Tom and Annette to come up. Uh, they had a great trip to Africa. went to a couple countries with um, Young Life. And I just asked them to be a fitting way to kind of wrap up this series, have them share about their trip. And uh, I just asked them to just talk a little bit about what um, kind of what they observed, kind of what their mission was, why they went, and then what they observed. And they got some great stories about people who God is pursuing, even in some difficult um, countries, to be a Christ Followers. So you just kind of welcome them as they come this morning. Come on, up, come on, up, come on. Up. Well, where do we start? I'm not going to read this, but you can kind of ponder what that says behind me. Um, I guess I'm going to start at the beginning, Chris. <laughs> In 2013. I took my daughter to uh, Tanzania. Uh, we wanted, I, I've taken each of my girls on like a missions trip, like a, a grandfather-daughter trip before they found a guy and left me. And uh, so I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. My dad had done it in his 70s. And I thought that would be a great trip for Catherine and I to do. And we found that Young Life, because you didn't know anything about Young Life Africa, we found that they had a camp in Arusha, in Tanzania. So Catherine and I volunteered at this camp as crew, which means you serve their meals, you clean their cabins, you wash their dishes, you basically serve these African kids. And then Catherine and I climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. I had so much fun with the fellowship, with the men and women that were crewing with us and who climbed the mountain with us, that after we finished climbing Kilimanjaro, this Rick Rogers, who was chairing that team that we were on, invited me to hang out with them again in Colorado Springs in like September of that year. And I thought we were just getting together for like great fellowship. It turned out after the second night, Annette leaned in on me and asked me if we were on a committee. And that's how we got involved in Young Life Africa. Because we saw the, and because I saw the fruit of what God was doing at that time in Central Africa. You know, I, I was at this camp with almost 500 kids. These kids came to camp with a leader who knew their names from their own communities. And I, I saw almost every kid in that camp make a decision for Jesus by the end of that camp. And the beautiful thing about this, after the camp, those kids get in a bus with their volunteer leader and travel back to their villages and their homes where that volunteer leader is still in relationship with those kids. And I just saw it as such a great ministry opportunity that we just have to get involved in it. And so uh, last year, um, I was involved in a fundraising effort. We raised over $300,000 that went into a reserve account at Young Life 
for starting work in new areas. So it's one thing to, to talk about what's happening in Central Africa, and you have hundreds of kids are showing up at camp, and you, you're volunteer leaders, and all these exciting things happening. That's kind of easy money to tell that story. Hey, let's raise $7,500, and we can send 500 kids to camp for the best week of their life. But it's a different kind of challenge to raise money to, to start a ministry in areas where nothing was happening. And I'm talking about, and I'll just name the countries, I'm talking about places like Tunisia, Algeria, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Iraq, and a number of other countries that are surrounding that area where, where no ministry, there's believers there, but no ministry like Young Life was happening in those places. And we raised the funds, and today, where we weren't doing 12 months ago, today we have ministry going on in Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, Tunisia. These are hard places. It's not like Central Africa where you, you can just, you, you know, the, it, it, the growth is just exponential. In this part of the world, the work is really hard. And it's hard because the price that's paid is a significant price when a young person makes a decision to serve Jesus. So I want to share a little bit of this recent trip. We were gone for about 10 days. We had a, about 130 hours of transit. We started off in North Africa meeting with believers that I have met. Now, this is my fifth trip back to that, that region since 2019. And I'm gonna, we're going to share just a few um, stories from the work that the Lord is doing in this part of the world. Now, Annette's dad, Everett Wilson, Dr. Wilson, wrote a book called Strategies of the Spirit. And one thing that's clearly evident is God is doing his work. We have the privilege of kind of coming alongside and seeing what the Spirit is already doing. The best that we can do is help to equip and encourage and not get in the way or obstruct the things that God's already doing. Um, so one of the, uh, one of the things that we, we saw in, in North Africa is we have powerful testimonies of young men and women coming to Jesus alone. They don't have any Christian friends. There's no church. And they, and they start having a dream or a vision. And, and through a variety of different circumstances, maybe they find a Bible. Or they, they, the Lord's speaking to them, but they don't have, they, there's no church. And they begin this pursuit. And usually in that process, they find a Bible or they go online and they start reading and then sometimes in a matter of days, they've read through the whole Bible. There's this one story of a of Mama Suad. And she, she grew up in a Muslim home, in an arranged marriage. She wasn't happy. Her husband wasn't a good Muslim. She was worried about what her husband was into. She was snooping through her thing, his things. He knew it. He felt like the Lord told him to marry this girl. So they got married. He knows he's, that she's snooping through his stuff. So he decides to leave his Bible where she can find it. She finds his Bible, and she starts reading it while he's at work. She hurries up and finishes her chores every day so she could read this Bible. In five days, she read through the entire scriptures. 
And it, 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 for her, it just was truth. And she became a confessing Christian in that context. So she confronts her husband. Now, the husband doesn't believe her. How could you become a Christian this quick? There's so much distrust about, you know, like someone's trying to trick you or someone's trying to come into your fellowship. And so he was at first like skeptical. How could his wife become a Christian so quick? But once he realized that she became a true believer, it was like joy and happiness. And this, 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 this happened years ago. I met her in 2019, and uh, she came in uh, to a place that we were staying at, and she brought some of the uh, young people that were living with her. And the Lord had given her a vision for 5,000 believers in the city that she's living in. And she just has a little home, and she, and she young people that, that I could tell you other stories where a young man um, – uh, is in school. He's 16 years old. He sees that a girl is no longer hanging out with the other girls. He asks her what she's doing. She confesses that she's reading the Bible. He says, oh, no, you can't be doing that. That's wrong. And, uh, and so in order to prove that she is wrong, he went and got a Bible and started reading it. He comes back to her a few weeks later and he says, you know what, you're right. <laughs> and he became a Christian. And this is a serious young man. And in the pursuit of truth, he's, he created a fake social media account. And he started reaching out to everyone he knew, including his older brother, on this fake social media account as a um, apologetic for, for Jesus. And, uh, and, this, and he's going on, like, you know, fighting this battle with all his friends and stuff online. One day, his older brother borrows his phone. He forgot to log out of his account, and his brother was angry. Grabbed him downstairs, confronted him with his dad. His dad told him he had to reject this. This is wrong. You have to repent from doing this. And the son refused. The father disowned him. He said, you're no longer my son. You can't live with us, and threw him out of the house. He had nowhere to go. And after a few months, somehow, this, this mama suad, heard about this young man, and invited him, her into his home. So he came from a place of having a family that loved him to becoming a Christian, and he had nothing. He thought he was the only believer in Morocco. He had no fellowship. But, but Mama Sue heard about him, brought him into his home, and now he has another family. And that story is repeated hundreds of times in, in this part of the world, where the Lord comes through visions and, and uh, so, Annette, you want to share some of the stories? Well, I would just like to say how um, inspiring it is to see young people who have nothing but when confronted with the truth, they're willing to give up not only their families, but they don't they get kicked out of school. They have no um, career opportunities. And yet the Lord has, the stories we have heard, Tom and I heard personally, um, are so amazing, and their commitment to serve Christ in the face of this, um, it kind of brings shame sometimes to uh, what we face here and how little we do for the Lord. So it was very inspiring for me, and I want to um, encourage you that um, God can do way more through our lives than what, what we realize if we just pursue him and seek him. But um, stories of, like, finding a cross on the ground, 
and bringing it home, and it just starts to inspire a, a search. And um, other stories of someone saying, I'm going to give it all up. God, if you're not there, it's your fault. But God is faithful. And he, um, this one gentleman went into a, a store to buy meat. And the gentleman that owned the store left, but he left the TV on. And on the TV is the gospel being presented. And he's hearing everything he was seeking God about. And I'm sorry, my mouth is so dry. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm sorry. But um, he ends up just walking out of the store. He didn't even buy any meat. But God had given him what he was seeking. And it was just a miracle. So God is at work. And he is faithful. And I don't think I can say any more for a minute until I get some water. <laughs> There's another uh, fascinating testimony that we heard and this is a believer that was living in Somalia wasn't a believer at the time and he was studying to be a cleric and in that in that uh, as he's studying to be a cleric he kept having a visitation and this visitation was um, this this man would appear to him and say this is not the way and this this visitation was a physical visitation from a man, sometimes at night, sometimes he'd be woken up from bed, and there'd be a physical visitation of a man saying, this isn't the way. And this happened over a period of years. He's now traveled to the Sudan to complete his advanced studies to be a cleric, and he has this reoccurring visitation as he's studying Islam to be a teacher, and he gets this manifestation, and this is a crazy story. Where this physical manifestation, this man's telling him this is not correct, this is not the way, but nothing, no context. He's got no idea what this means. So he's at this school uh, studying in the Sudan, and there he sees a poster at the school saying, uh, "English, learn English." You know, a class learn English. And so he he goes to the, this place, and the and the person there says, "Well, to be honest with you, I will teach you English, but I use the Bible." And it happened to be a Baptist missionary that was there. And he goes, huh? From Canada. And so uh, he goes, that's okay. I'm kind of curious about this Jesus thing anyways. And, you know, they have, a, in Islam, they have a lot of respect for Jesus. And uh, so he starts taking this English class with this Baptist missionary. And they become friends. And so one day the Baptist missionary invites this gentleman to his house for dinner. And he walks into the house, and he sees a picture on the wall of the man that's been visiting him over the number of the past few years. He sees a picture of the man who's saying, this is not the way. And he asks the Baptist missionary, who is this guy? Well, it's just a photo. It was a picture of an artist's rendering of Jesus. The crazy thing is, Jesus, years before all this happened, appeared to this man in the image of this Canadian missionary's picture of Jesus in his room. This man is a confessing Christian today, serving as a Young Life staff person in Somalia, in one of the most dangerous places in the world today. We had a volunteer leader in Somalia killed last year because he is playing music. In Mama Sua's home, 
when they all gather and they worship, and I was, uh, I've been in her home and I've worshiped with them, they close all the windows tight. They lock the doors and they have just this fantastic worship. But it's, there's fear associated with it because of the price they have to pay. Um, and that did you? Well, um, anyway, I'd like to just uh, let you know that God is at work. He is pursuing people and um, with the gospel. And even though it's a difficult place, God is at work. And we're just so excited to be able to be included in part of that. Um, the second part of our trip was to go to the celebration um, in Tanzania um, for all of uh, the African leaders for Young Life. Uh, the leaders come. Any of the supporters in the United States come. And we celebrate together what God is doing. And um, if we could get the picture of the cross, Randy, first. Um, here is Bogomoyo. It's an area on the coast. And um, it's a very, very difficult area because it's very Muslim in that country. And it's been hard to get um, uh, anything happening there as far as ministry. But we were able to go visit the first day camp they've ever done in that area. So it was very exciting to see the kids have a day camp and have the gospel presented to them there. And um, it's a very historical place because it's the end of a, a trail where slaves were brought. And um, so there's a very powerful meaning there to have the gospel be preached there is very powerful. And then um, if we could go, let's see, the next picture of, well, there's Tom and I with um, the woman there is Cynthia. She's the logistics person for Rwanda. And the other gentleman is Vianney. He's the regional leader for Burundi, which is just south of Rwanda. As you know, those countries were um, severely hit with a civil war that was very violent. But because they were able to reconcile and um, forgive one another, the ministries there have been are going just overboard. It's just amazing how fast they're growing. And so it's... Um, Wonderful to see. I mentioned to George how wonderful it was that everyone had reconciled and so much growth was happening in the ministry. But he told me, you know, it's hard. He goes, sometimes you'll go down to the store and you'll see someone that you know killed a family member. So how powerful is that, that God is working in that country and doing an amazing work? I'm going to let Tom share about the next picture. Yeah, what's the next picture? Oh, so th- this is in Tanzania. This young man is a Young Life volunteer. Does not a paid. In fact, currently in the region, there are 24,000, over 24,000 Young Life volunteers. It's a volunteer missionary effort. This young man is holding a hand-drawn map of his neighborhood. And the, the, the items that you can hardly see that are in uh, the green is where he's currently doing clubs. So they, they, they've organized themselves almost like an army. They break up their neighborhoods, they, they carve it out, and they assign these young people, say, you're going to do club here, here, here. And then the yellow area is contact. That's where he's doing his contact work. And the rest of the neighbors, neighborhood that are in white are areas part of their five-year plan. And these, these young believers, now this, this young man grew up in a Christian home, and in Tanzania it's predominantly Christian except along the coast where it's Muslim. And it's an interesting story, I'm going to tell you. 
that cross that you saw in the earlier picture was the end of a 600-mile interior slave route to the east. So the, the tribes along the Indian Ocean converted to Islam early on because in Islam you couldn't take a fellow Muslim as a slave. And then those, those chiefs, those villages, then participated going into the interior of Africa and collecting slaves, 600-mile route to that cross. And at that place, all the male slaves uh, were castrated, and then they were sent to the island of Zanzibar where the trade markets were for the eastern slave trade. This is a slave trade that went into the Middle East and the Arab countries. Um, several years ago, the Christians in Tunisia gathered together in Tanzania. They gathered together and they walked that 600-mile slave route carrying chains. They called it the Freedom Walk. And they carried the chains to that cross asking for forgiveness. Because there's a lot of tremendous national guilt that, and shame that was associated with the slave trade in this country. And then from this point, they put the chains on a boat and they took it to Zanzibar. And, and at Zanzibar, at the slave markets, they had a big service asking for forgiveness and for God's mercy. This is a tremendous story that's kind of lost in, this, in the West. But this young man... Um, you know, proudly shared his map with me, his strategies for club. And then the, the amazing thing is every one of these volunteers, so you have these currently 24,000 volunteers, are required to have two prayer partners at their local church, two people who are committed to pray for them. And then um, you can show the next slide. These two young ladies, I went out to their village, and this is the tree that they do club. Now, when we showed up there, there was a young man getting his hair cut <laughs> at the tree. And then after she shared with us, we went to her home, a little concrete structure, no running water, no, no bathroom. Uh, in her neighborhood, you, can't, you can only walk in there, and um, there's no cars or anything in there. And, um, of course, you see goats and chickens and all that kind of stuff running around. But I want to share a little bit about what's going on in Young Life right now. The ministry started in 2006. Today, there are 1,568,000 young adults known by name. The volunteer leaders know by name 1,568,000 kids. Kids at camp weekly, 253,000 kids are coming to camp every week. Kids at campaigners, these are the kids that want to go deeper. It's a weekly Bible study. 110,000 kids every week with their volunteer leader in a Bible study. Open ministries, 3,318 ministries that are ongoing. This, this year, this summer, we had 110,000 kids at camp. Out of that, about 52 to 53% make decisions for Jesus at camp. So in Central Africa and South Africa, the ministry is just blowing up. And in West Africa. North Africa and the Middle East, it's a lot harder work. Um, Annette, did you kind of? I just would like to say um, how thankful I am that God uh, allowed us to go on this trip 
and that we were able to, um, you know, sometimes you have to get out of your own bubble and your own paradigm and see what God is doing. And I know in Santa Cruz, sometimes it's really tough. We feel like God can't move here, that the enemy is so strong. And I just wanted to encourage you because I felt encouraged and renewed to just seek God and ask him to use you and ask him to use me and to make a difference in our own community. I see how hard these volunteers are working in Africa. These folks have nothing. Some of our leaders were, um, when I read their testimonies, they were like living in the bush. And somehow God called them. And they're running a whole country, some ministry. God can use anyone who's willing to be used. And if we are willing, he can do mighty things through us. And I just want to encourage you in that. Seek the Lord. Be in his word. Um, like uh, Chris was saying, we are more than conquerors. I don't think we often realize how God can use us if we're willing. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that, myself in that, our church. And um, I, was just, I just want to thank God for the opportunity to go on the trip and his faithfulness to us and um, just to let us see the great work that he's doing. So in um, Psalms chapter 2, this is considered a messianic psalms. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance to the ends of the earth, your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So if necessary... <laughs> God's going to do his work, and he's going to get his inheritance back. And uh, I see it happening in Africa. The interesting thing is, often people think that Christianity is a Western religion. It's not. It started in North Africa and the Middle East, and it went to Africa first before it ever went into Europe. And I, it's kind of interesting because you see this incredible revival taking place in Africa. And I kind of wonder here in the West... If we're not going to get broken to pieces before we realize, as a culture, before we realize and come to a place of repentance and experience God's mercy again. Last week, you, you sang a song that the battles won on our knees. I don't, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but, but that's where it's won. It's not, it's not by preaching. That's important. But change takes place when we as Christians spend time on our knees praying and interceding for others. Yay, God. Thank you, Tom and Annette. This church, if you're new here, has a huge history uh, with world missions being involved uh, in um, supporting uh, missionaries in sending uh, people on mission trips. I myself have been on uh, mission trips from here. Um, so I'm so grateful to hear this report uh, from Tom and Annette. And so good to hear that God is pursuing people in every corner of the world, including Santa Cruz, California, Santa Cruz County. Hey, why don't you stand? We're going to sing a, 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 one more song, one or two, one more songs, whatever Dave has, and we're going to trust God. Father God, I'm so grateful for this 
legacy father of um, Christian Life Center, reaching out to the world, being connected to the world, being networked with the world. God, I'm so grateful that um, Tom and Annette just took some time and their own resources um, to get to a place in the world that you're doing amazing things, Father. You are pursuing people. And God, I believe that even those you're pursued in Africa who are now following you, Father, you pursue them because there's others in their world you want to pursue. God, you pursue to pursue. And God, I pray that you will just bless those in Morocco, those in Tanzania um, that Tom and Annette had a chance to talk to, minister to, help support, help raise money for. God, thank you for Young Life. Thank you that they're committed to reaching um, teenagers and young adults all around the globe. God, I pray here at Christian Life Center, Father, you will raise up a leader for our youth. God, I believe you're going to do that. We believe you're going to do that. That, God, you're going to bring the people here to plant a flag of the kingdom of God here at Christian Life Center in this community. God, we keep praying that. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's sing together.